as it's been said probably several times already this morning, it's really good to have you with us. I'm very excited to get to the opportunity to share from God's word to you all. Um, if you've got a Bible in front of you as a book, or maybe it's an app on a phone or a tablet, and then if you want to find the book of Matthew and chapter 8 in particular, um, I'm looking at verses 23 to 27 together this morning. Just whilst you're finding that, I'll just fill in the time, give you a bit of context of what's going on. Um, book of Matthew is a gospel account of Jesus' life. It's taking from the events maybe just a little bit before his birth, all the way up to his death and his resurrection and, and what happened there. And in chapter eight, we're sort of cutting in fairly early on um, into his sort of three-year ministry, the sort of the period in which he was sort of going around and teaching and performing miracles and all the way that culminated in his death and resurrection. It's also important to note at this point that we're looking at chapter eight and chapter eight comes after chapters five, six and seven. Those of you who know that my day job is to be an accountant are probably thinking, phew, thank goodness Nat knows his numbers. But <laughs> chapters five, six and seven are usually grouped together and called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a particularly sort of important set of teachings that Jesus gave um, outlining what it would be like if we were to live in fully understanding everything that Jesus said and who he was, then how would we live our lives like that? And at the end of chapter seven, we get this glimpse that the crowds are starting to wonder. There might be a little bit more to this guy than what we're initially seeing. The crowd would have been um, made of predominantly of Jewish people. They would have been regular attenders at the synagogue. They would have received teaching um, every single Saturday and from rabbis and Pharisees. And yet this unlearned man from Nazareth called Jesus, he's the one that they're now looking and turning to each other and going, he speaks with authority. There's something lacking with what those guys say. And we're just joining in this moment where Jesus is now starting to move on to a new place uh, called Capernaum. So let's read the passage together. If you haven't got anything with you, and hopefully it should be coming on the screen. Bingo, there we go, cracking. Right, I'll read it for us all. I'm reading from the ESV translation. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he... Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid of you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men, the disciples, marveled and turning to each other, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? Now, when I was preparing this passage and I sort of thought about what Jesus would have been like, perhaps when he fell asleep on this boat, the surroundings would have been more serene and calm, perhaps soothing enough for him to be able to go to sleep. And yet now when he wakes up, all of a sudden the circumstances seem to have completely changed and the scenario um, and the look on his friend's faces are now sort of giving him an idea that something drastically different is now occurring. And I thought about this in my own life. And there was a moment that sprung to mind of where I suddenly woke up in very different surroundings to the one that I fell asleep in. Um, each year, um, throughout the 90s and the early noughties, my family um, would go on a Bible on week to a camp called Stonely. And uh, hundreds and thousands of people from the UK and across the world would gather together to worship God and to hear teaching and just enjoy being with one another, getting to know each other, being in God's presence. And, and one night, my brother and I were uh, put to sleep in um, our tent. Um, but yet a couple of hours later, I remember waking up and thinking, something is not quite right here. Everything around me feels wet. There's water in my tent. 
<laughs> and what had happened was that there'd been sort of like a flash flood, like torrential downpour of rain, and it's flooded into our tents. So my brother and I looked at each other and going, oh my word, what on earth is going on? And thankfully, my mum and dad came in and sort of helped us get out and dry off and find somewhere else to sleep for the night. But we still get this idea that, gee, that waking up in different surroundings can be quite terrifying. And these fishermen, they're wrong, sorry, these disciples have found themselves in this very unique set of circumstances of going, what is happening here? And of the 12, we know that at least four of them were experienced fishermen. They would have been skilled experts at the very task at which they were doing to travel from one side of a body of water to another. And yet even they are now freaking out. They use the word perishing when they come to Jesus, which is often used in the Bible to give us this sense of somebody who's either on the brink of or is dying physically or spiritually. A sudden event has come out of nowhere and has swept the rug from underneath their feet, leaving them to feel this stress and this panic. And maybe this sounds familiar in the time that we're currently living in, but Perhaps what those guys would have done is try to have done all manner of different things to try and resolve the situation themselves. I know that's what I can be like. If I get an unexpected um, email or um, at work or a particular task I need to do, sometimes I think, how am I going to resolve the situation myself? And I can imagine some of the guys that were fishermen of those disciples were thinking, right, don't worry, lads, we've got this. We're going to sort it out. Um, but then, you know, when you do things like that and it doesn't seem to be working and the circumstances seem to get worse, the things that you feel competent and confident in, all of a sudden you find yourself going, I can't actually do any of this. And the frustration starts to build and then you sort of go, and then, then the fear starts to arise and then you start to panic and you're meant to be the one that's feeling in control and everybody else is now starting to panic. And now they're running to Jesus, who for some reason seems to be asleep throughout the whole thing. One of those annoying people that can just sleep anywhere. It's a skill that I can only look on and admire. I just can't do that myself. And they're now coming to him, perhaps sort of in, in fear and saying, please, Jesus, I don't know how we're going to get out of this, but you seem to be a little bit different. The crowds listen to the words you said earlier on in this, earlier on in the chapter eight, we understand that there's events that happen where Jesus has healed people at close quarters, being able to speak words and healing people from a distance, people who are miles away. And so thinking, oh, he's a bit different. Maybe he can, I don't know, do something to help us get out of this situation. And in moments like this, you're often looking for words of comfort, things that make you feel more at ease with the situation that's going on. Perhaps thinking, ah, here's someone that can help me in my situation and deal with this. I know I've done some other things myself, but I've come to the end of myself now. Jesus, help me out here. And there's some moments that I've been in throughout my life several times, but Jesus' response is not perhaps the one that we would expect. He turns and probably you know, wakes up and asks the question, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Now, at first, what might be running through the disciples' minds might be, A, Jesus, that's a bit harsh. Come on. Have you not, I know you've just woken up, but look around you. Can you not see what I'm seeing? The waves are engulfing me. The winds are blowing around. There's no way that you can have any sort of navigation or keeping course on the body, this body of water. Um, we're all absolutely terrified. Look at Peter. He's the one that's supposed to be a fisherman. He's freaking out as well. What are we going to do? Do you not see the circumstance that I'm living, I'm living in at the moment? 
and you're asking me why I'm afraid. But the thing is, is that Jesus is actually asking them a deeper question. He's not necessarily just asking them, why are you afraid? He's really wanting to get to the heart of the matter and understand what's going on within their hearts. And he's really asking, do you not fully understand who I am? What we're getting, what Jesus perhaps is getting at here is saying, have you not, do you not remember the things that we just did earlier today and in the last week? Do you not remember the, the, the crowds all being stunned at how I spoke? Do you not remember how I healed the leper? Do you not remember that centurion that came to me and asked me to heal his servant? And I did so with just a word when he was miles away. Do you not remember, Peter, that I even healed your own mother-in-law? just a few, just you know, earlier today. Do you not fully get what's going on here? You are not making the link from the things you've seen and experienced and know and applying it to the situation. And Jesus is asking this sort of question to them because he, and it's coming out of love. It's not coming out of sort of frustration that perhaps there might've been a temptation to have felt frustrated, but he's coming out to them with love. He's wanting them to live a fuller life where the basis in which that they come to him is not one built upon fear, but one that's built upon a full understanding of who Jesus is and giving them peace in this situation. And you might be thinking, okay, that's a bit of a big ask. You're asking a lot of me here. You're asking me to trust a man implicitly in the middle of a storm who was asleep and he's done some cool things, but how can I really fully know that I can actually trust this guy, Jesus? How can I fully know? How do I fully know actually who he really is? Well, Jesus gives us a bit of a glimpse as to exactly who he is in the next few, next, so towards the end of the passage. After asking the question, it says in verse 26, that he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. With words, Jesus is able to stop a storm. He's able to stop the waves from crashing around, able to stop the wind from blowing at absolute top gale force speeds. With just words, which is mad. I've been at the seaside and I've stood on piers and I've looked at the body of water and it looks terrifying when it's a bit windy out there and perhaps the weather is not so sunny. It's terrifying, and yet with words, no torrent from above, no sort of passing of the heavens, no sort of major action, just with words, he is able to stop this storm. And actually in the Gospel of Mark, which is another account of Jesus' life, and when Mark's sort of retelling his version of this story, he tell, gives us an idea that Jesus says the words, peace, be still. And that's enough to calm nature and to bring it back into order. But he's not just saying that for nature's benefit. It's also for the disciples too. Because if they were able to, in the, even in this moment, remember some of the things they might have learned when they went to the synagogue, when they were growing up, there would have been this verse within one of the Psalms, just a collection of songs. And there's one verse that stands out in particular, which it says, to be still and know that I and God. More than a good teacher, more than a man with a few tricks up his sleeve, or a pretty impressive doctor. Jesus is able to command creation 
and it, that it must listen to him because he is God. And again, digging into the understanding of the disciples would have known growing up with the knowledge of what we call now called in the Old Testament is that it's only God alone who can speak and direct creation to do his bidding. No human is able to do that. So even if we read the stories of Moses, this particularly impressive figure um, throughout the whole of the Bible and in, the, in his life in the, New, in the Old Testament, even he doesn't necessarily speak to stuff to cause things to happen. Yet Jesus is giving us a glimpse into his identity here, that he is more than just a man, but he is fully God and that he has complete control, sovereign control and authority over all of creation. Even things that seem scary and overwhelming to us are completely at his command and his will. And he does this through speaking of words. And we get this understanding that the words of God are really, truly powerful. With Jesus' words, he's able to speak creation into being. We get that from the beginning in the book of Genesis, where it talks about how the world began. That with just words, God is able to form and shape the world that we now know and live. That in the, um, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that he himself, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. The very utterance and mention of the power of Jesus is enough to uphold all of creation. Not just in this world, but in the planets and the stars and the multiple galaxies that exist outside of us. All of this is held within him and he can direct it with his words. He also gives direction into our lives again and again. He is also, with words, able to call a man to vacate his grave and be able to start living again. The words of God can create and uphold, direct and resurrect. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, if you can understand that through my words to give a glimpse into the authority which I have over all of creation and therefore over you, and over your life, then you could come to me out of a place of peace and comfort rather than out of fear. And when I was thinking about how this might apply to us, then, you know, one particular event did spring to mind, a sudden event that perhaps maybe, maybe it's built up over months, but now we live in this lockdown life where Things don't feel the same anymore. And over this period of time, we've had to question several of the normal processes that we would normally do in our day-to-day -day life. Going to the shops now looks different. Getting takeout seems, you know, there's a lot of different obstacles and hurdles to overcome in that, doing that now. Even shaking a hand, which, to, which before felt so normal and felt like such an ordinary mundane thing that I never really had to think about. Now I'm having to question whether I can even do that anymore. These moments, these sudden events, expose us to the fragility of life and how our trust in all sorts of things, in ourselves, in the economy, in people, in the government, um, in the stock markets, and in companies, just all of a sudden fall away. And it seems crazy, and it seems utter madness in the middle of this storm that we're all currently living in just like the ones the disciples found themselves in. Maybe Jesus is actually calling us to move on from a place of wanting to try and fix these things ourselves and to come to an understanding of his total authority, which even in this storm looks crazy to say, but he is in complete control. 
and that our lives and our very being is it held within his hands. And I had another couple of scenarios that I thought of that actually perhaps you're in a moment where you feel like you follow Jesus into something. And all of a sudden you're in sort of perhaps a bit of a difficulty within that. Well, the disciples will probably fully get how you feel at this moment. It says at the beginning of verse 23 that Jesus got into the boat and the disciples followed him. And all of a sudden, following Jesus, we've encountered this horrendous experience that tries to derail us and derail Jesus from being able to complete what his life was meant to be about. But this story is just a microcosm, just a few verses that sums up kind of the things that Duncan's been talking about in the Joseph series that our church has been going through. And if you've not listened to any of them, I fully encourage you to go back and find them and give them a listen. But at the end of the last Sunday, Duncan shared this tweet from a guy called Steph Liston, who leads a church also called Revelation Church, just by happenstance. And he said this, he said, the suffering we face is one at the same time, satanically intended for maximum disruption, and yet is also divinely ordained to bring maximum redemption. If we stand firm, Jesus always wins. And it means that we do too. Because Jesus has authority over all things. And we know that he has got full authority and that can never be questioned because of what he then went on to do with his life. He said of his very own words that he is the resurrection and the life. Now, if we fully trust in him and his words, we would know that he isn't saying those things as empty phrases, that he did very much so go to the cross, that he very much did die for us and take away um, anything that sort of hinders us from being able to be friends with God and no full peace and all the fear that we face, all of the things that get in the way can be completely washed off through the blood of Jesus. And that he didn't just stop there, but he then got out of the grave again to live and declare his total authority, not just over life, but even over death. We now can have total certainty that our hope is fixed in a man who has complete authority over life and death. Which I think is amazing. That simply in moments of storms, we can be still and remind ourselves of his full authority and his sovereignty. There's Helena read out at the beginning of the sermon that he is able to measure the waters in the hollows of his hands. And yet he is still the same one who comes to renew our strength and give us peace in moments like this with questions that perhaps might feel harsh at first. But really, there is a loving encouragement to move away from living in a basis of fear and to live in a basis of his presence and the very true reality of who he is so that even death can lose its sting. And. I just wanted to add on to this about how we can fully apply this to our lives because I know full well that it's easy to say that we can live with a knowledge of the authority of God and we can sometimes pull to mind different verses and that can help us and go some way to relieve some of the fear and anxiety that can start to build up in our hearts and then start to fill our minds. But actually Jesus is wanting to say to the disciples in this passage and to us that it's not just about knowing this concept or knowing that he himself is authority. But he's asking us to recall events, things that we can draw upon and rely upon 
to give us to fuel our faith in these situations. As I was prepping for this, I came across an article written by a guy called David Mathis, who was he was an executive editor of a website called DesiringGod.org, which is like a collection of articles and sermons all about experiencing God in our lives. And he said this um, when we're talking about the, the what God is wanting for us and in our lives, that it's he says this. Jesus means for us not simply to remind ourselves that he is good and keeps his word but to recall specific expressions and events of his goodness and particular instances in which he spoke and it came to pass seemingly against all odds. So in this time, which seems weird and perhaps can cause a bit of anxiety to fill our hearts, we are human. I felt a bit nervous about this whole situation too, but we can simply be still and know that he is God, know his authority over all things, know that his words are fully with power, know that for us that are Christians, we've got stories in our past testimonies of the things that he has done for us, moments where God has come through seemingly against all the odds, as David Mathis said in, in that article. And for us as Christians, we're now also in a place in this time to speak God's words to other people. It's not just about reminding ourselves of how good God is. We've now got the opportunity to be able to share these words with others. We are ambassadors of Jesus in this situation. And if Jesus is here to bring peace to us, then surely we as people filled with the spirit and carry Jesus with us into every situation. We've now got the opportunity through social media and phone calls and um, relating to others through whatever means that might be to share the goodness of God and the peace of God and the wonder of his love and calling us to move out of fear. And perhaps you're not a Christian yet and you're joining in with us this morning for the first time, or maybe it's not the first time, but you're still just looking in and going, I kind of want to know a bit more about this guy. Then I want to encourage you to not just stop with today, read the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, get an understanding of who Jesus is, that he is not just a man, but he is fully God. And there's hope to be found within him, hope to be found within his words, that you're not too far away, that if you call out to him, he will certainly speak back to you and with his words bring full life, bring freedom and bring a certain hope that this life is not just it, that we've very much certainly got another life to come where there is no pain and no suffering and no tears anymore. What a good God we have. What a certain faith and hope that we've got, that we've got a God who can just speak and bring things into being. And we've got a God who can speak and is able to sustain and uphold everything. We've got a God who's able to speak and direct. We've got a God who's able to speak and resurrect our lives, our futures, and our hope. And whatever situation you're facing today, not just lockdown, let us move on from asking ourselves and turning to one another and going, who is this man? Let's fully remember that he, Jesus is the God man and the one in whom we can put all of our trust and all of our hope because there is nothing that our God can't do.